Hello, everyone, and welcome back as we bring you another episode of the Leverett Ball Show. And before we get started, I just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors, Radical Strength and Fitness and Power Plus Mouthguard. And our guest on this episode is Kate Ekman. And Kate actually is someone I had a chance to interview recently on a different show. That was the Levin Marcus show, which I co-host with former NFL player Marcus Ogden. Um, and Kate is, she's worn a lot of different hats. Um, she is the author of the Full Spirit Workout. She is a certified executive leadership coach for Columbia University and also a former television host. So Kate, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's so fun to connect with you again. Definitely, definitely. And I know you've uh, worn a lot of different hats in your uh, various career experiences. So I I've said this to a couple of guests. I hope I at least got half of your titles. <laughs> yes. I do feel like the cat with nine lives. And every time that a host is reading my credentials or something like that, all I think is, you know, my biggest job title, my number one role in life, I feel like is the joy bringer. I'm here to bring the joy, bring the fun, bring the energy, bring the excitement, empower people, make people feel seen, heard, and acknowledged in my presence. So that, that to me is my ultimate job title. The other stuff is nice. I worked really hard for it, but ultimately I'm just here to bring the joy. Well, and that's awesome that, you know, your identity comes from more just who you are and not your titles or your possessions. Uh, Cause some people, their entire image is just wrapped up in that. Um, but it's funny, I'm kind of reminded uh, on the Levin Marcus show, we recently had um, this guy, he was a, a CEO of a pretty big company, but then he also did public speaking and he even acted in a few movies. And it was like, I literally said to myself, like, if I read all of his titles, the entire episode will just be me introing him. Like, we won't even <laughs> talk about anything. But, um, but yeah, but, um, you know, with that in mind, you know, how have you juggled everything with all of your different uh, professional and personal responsibilities? What a question. I think some days are, are easier than others, certainly, just like everybody. And I've really had to get clear on my values and my priorities and then making choices from a place of, do I value this? Is this, is this um, enlightening or expanding my values or is this threatening my values? And also getting clear on priorities. I, <laughs> you know, I'm laughing, but I also get a little frustrated and quite frankly, sick of hearing people say, well, I'm too busy to do that or I don't have time. And all I think is, is that is it that you don't have time or is this not a priority for you? And so I think people probably feel bad when they say, you know what, talking to you on the phone is not a priority for me. So what do they say? I'm busy or yes. what it is, whatever it is. And I've certainly been like, oh yeah, I don't have time to do that thing. But then when I'm honest with myself, um, because I set the timers on my phone, I'm like, wow, your phone just said you were on social media for two hours today. So think of what I could have done in that two hours. And certainly social media does play a role in our businesses for many of us. I, I wish it didn't quite frankly, because I, I, I feel like when I'm doing my best work, I really don't have the time or energy for social media. So I, I think it is important to, or even one man said to me recently, gosh, your, your resume is overwhelming. But I think that speaks to the fact that society wants to put women in a box, especially they, they want us to be one thing. And, and there's a lot of judgment. Then I have a woman who said, well, 
you're, you're young and attractive. You're beautiful. You get everything you want. And it's like, oh, okay. So, you know, there's a lot to navigate out there. And I, I think we all need to spend a little more time getting clear on, on who we really are, what we really want, and, and really focusing on our values and priorities and, and knowing that it's okay to do multiple things. We are multidimensional beings. Don't ever let anyone put you in a box. And if something isn't working for you, if you don't feel challenged, if you don't feel lit up, maybe it is time to explore some other options. Well, and that's interesting. You mentioned how, you know, sometimes people want to put women in a certain box and, you know, you referenced how someone told you, you know, you're young and attractive and they made certain assumptions about you. And, you know, like we joked about earlier, you know, you do have a a very well-rounded resume and for someone like you, you know, on one hand, um, you know, you've, you've written your own book and you've done the work you've done with Columbia university, but then you also have the background you know, um, as a television host and also in modeling. So with the the background in, in modeling and, and TV hosting, were there certain assumptions that people made about you and certain people who, writ, you know, wrote you off when you were trying to write a book and, and work with one of the, you know, most well-known universities, you know, worldwide? I mean, did, did people assume that you weren't capable of doing that because of your background? Um, I, I, I try not to worry about what people are, are thinking mm-hmm. anyway. Sometimes I pick up on it or some things are directly said to me, but I, I love to be underestimated. I, I, you know, go ahead and think that I'm just this one thing. I mean, I have people even say that they're, you know, shocked that I'm so nice, whatever that means. I think someone meets someone who looks like me in high school and maybe that person wasn't nice to them or something. And they think, oh, women who look like that are not nice. Or if you're pretty, you're not smart. Or if you're, you know, really into academics, you're not attractive or or whatever. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's just always nice to um, surprise people, uh, you know, pleasantly. But we can't spend too much time there, right? Because I have a lot of friends who are professional athletes. They get the the dumb jock rap or like, oh, you're yes. an idiot with money. Or, you know, I think women, if you're attractive, it's just, I mean, I remember getting my master's degree at Northwestern and a, a very successful NFL agent approached me. There was an ESPN show taping on campus. I was in the audience and, and he came up to me and, and said, afterwards, he said, so are you just like paid to sit in the audience and look pretty? Are you just like a model? Mm-hmm. And I looked at him like, what is this man talking about? And I knew who he was um, because my friend had just signed on with him. But, and I looked, giving him this crazy look and he said, oh, wait, you're not a student here, are you? And I said, why? Do I look stupid? And he's like, uh, uh, no, no, it's just that. And I'm like, what? You know, and so I just think have fun with it. And, And whatever your thing is, I think we've all, like I said earlier, have experienced that icky place of being judged. And, and what I say to that is, you know, be honest with yourself about how many times you've judged yourself. And, you know, we get so upset when people judge us or overlook or reject us. But if we're honest, we do that to ourselves so often. And, and maybe that, that comment from that person is just a reflection of where you are. And maybe you need to release some self-judgment or maybe stop judging others and, and being more conscious of, of the way that you're doing that. But I think it's fun to... Um, to surprise people and to do what you want to do and what's important to you. And especially in a place where society says, well, you shouldn't be doing that. Or, or that's weird that you're like, for me, I'm not married. People think that's weird too. Like you're so fabulous. Why aren't you married? <laughs> I just have to say I'm overqualified or I skipped a divorce like everybody else and have fun and joke about it. And people think genius, great job. But you know, 
it's, it's so normalized to, to be a jerk or to be unhappily married or to marry someone you don't even really like. And then when you, you know, don't settle, that should be the standard, not the weird thing that people judge. I feel like I'm going on and on, but this is no, a lot to unpack. And these are, points, yeah. right. These are things that I think everyone experiences. Yeah. It's that, well, that's also relatable. Um, you know, a couple of things you said there for one, you know, the way people labeled you, you know, I've been labeled before and it's funny, you mentioned the the dumb jock label. So I never played pro sports, but you know, I played in college and you know, my, my senior, my senior year of college, I was the, the team captain of the rugby team. And I was also, I was a social guy. I went out a lot and partied. So people, people thought because, you know, I played on a team and I partied that I was an idiot. So people were, you know, surprised here that I was actually doing well in my classes. And I ended up, I was, so I was the team captain of the rugby team. I was named team captain my junior year. And I was team captain heading into my senior year. And I didn't play my senior year because I was doing an internship. And so people were, you know, surprised here. Oh, you know, you're doing an internship. You're doing well in your classes. We just thought of you as the dumb athlete who, who, you know, partied and tried to pick up girls and did this and that. But, but then on the other hand, the funny thing about me is like, I was kind of a late bloomer in sports because I hit puberty, puberty late. I had like a growth spurt in like late high school. So like in most levels of school and like through middle school and into the start of high school, I was the shortest and lightest kid in my class. Like I remember middle school, most of the girls in my class were taller than I was. So I actually was not a good athlete and I was kind of viewed as a nerd at that age. So it's funny, like in middle school, everyone's like, you're a nerd. And then, you know, in senior year of college, we're like, you're a dumb jock. It's like, well, what do you want from me? You know, I've, I, it's funny because I've had multiple different types of labels thrown at me and none of them were true, you know? And yeah. so the labels, I think the labels are just the way that unintelligent people understand others because everyone is very, very layered. Um, and I don't think any labels entirely accurate, even if some of them are partially accurate. Um, what I've learned is that our thoughts and feelings about ourselves are the only ones that truly matter. And, and to spend that time cultivating the inner characteristics and to spend that time really getting up close and personal with yourself and, and loving and honoring and accepting yourself in so a pro profound way that that's what you attract. You attract more of that. And it's, as far as, you know, someone like me, who's, um, you know, done various careers, I, I say, nothing is wasted and and that everything that i've done has led me up to that not just that point of writing the book but to this point of you know releasing the book and, and doing coaching and and working with business leaders and and professional athletes and highly successful people and and then still having a day where i go and and do a tv job i think it's it's so important to be well rounded i certainly never get bored and and really it's important to stretch our comfort zone which is step 1 of my book and to be a little uncomfortable. That's that's where researchers say we perform at a highest level when we are having a little bit of anxiety because we're not just so safe and comfortable. So it is good to constantly challenge and expand yourself and just know that that seemingly insignificant, unrelated experience you had 20 years ago at some career that didn't really mean much, but you did learn something there. And as I like to ask my clients, what made you successful in the past? So take that success, take those characteristics. Like for me in a swimming career, I was extremely disciplined and dedicated and had an incredible work ethic. I was a great teammate. I can take those characteristics into everything that I do because technically what does a swimming career have to do with writing a book? Well, in my case, 
a lot. It takes a lot of discipline to do both of those things. The, the lessons I learned in swimming as a kid are with me every day and translate into almost everything that I do in a positive way. So I'd invite everyone to start thinking about that. And rather than beating ourselves up and, and, you know, worrying about like, oh my gosh, I'm a pharmacist. I want to start my own business as a caterer or become a chef, or I've always wanted to open my own flower shop, but what will people think? I'm a pharmacist. I spent all this time and money in pharmacy school. Great. If you're a skilled pharmacist, it means you're, you know, running a business in your own way, even if it's at a, a store, take those qualities into your, your role as an entrepreneur. Yeah, no, you're definitely right. Um, well, and also the one other point you made that is very relatable. All your points are good points, but like I said, there are a couple that are relatable. I, I mentioned um, the one about labels, but also the other really relatable ones. You talked about how society thinks you should do certain things with your life. And you mentioned, for example, the societal expectation to get married. And, you know, for me personally, I, I, you know, I'm 28 years old. I've never been married. I have been in, you know, long-term relationships that that didn't work out. Um, but, you know, as far as me getting married at some point down the road, it may happen if I find the right person. And I'm not, I'm not one of those people who is anti-marriage or doesn't believe in marriage, but I do think that there's too much societal pressure to get married. And, and, and so for me, you know, if I were to meet the right person and it was the right situation and it was in both of our best interests to get married, then that would happen. But hypothetically, if it were not in my best interest to ever get married, that's okay. And I think there are, you know, some people who marry the right person and live happily ever after, but there are a lot of people who marry the wrong people because they feel like there's something wrong with them if they're not married with children at a certain age, especially, you know, the, the whole societal expectation where it's like, if you don't have a child by your mid thirties, you're like some type of weirdo. Having a child is a full-time job. That is such a big time commitment. If you're not, 110% in on doing it, then you shouldn't. I mean, if it's really, really what you want to do and you're willing to make the sacrifices, then go for it. But there is way too much societal pressure. And, you know, as I'm getting closer to 30, you know, probably when I hit my early 30s, there might be those people talking about, you know, when are you going to find a wife? When are you going to find a, you know, a child? I don't think I have like a timer that's going to expire when I have to do it. You know, hypothetically, if I met someone in my early twenties that I wanted to marry and people have said it's too early, I still would have done it then. If, you know, maybe I'll meet someone in my thirties, maybe I'll meet someone in my forties, but it's, it's all about the right person, the right situation. And it's not a death sentence if you don't get married. And, you know, in my family, my, my parents were divorced. I had a horrible, horrible family situation growing up. Um, I mean, I, we could do a separate episode just talking about how much of a mess my family is, but, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, I feel as though my my dad, he overlooked some of the issues in his marriage to my mother because of he just didn't really believe in divorce and how it would look. So he was just he was in denial for so long and didn't address a lot of the issues because, again, he didn't believe in divorce. He didn't believe in being single um, and he could have saved himself all, you know, a lot of emotional pain had he just taken things head on. So. Again, I get where you're coming from. I, I hate the attitude that you have to get married and have kids by a certain age. That's why the divorce rate is so high because so many people rush into it. So again, I, yeah, and that's another topic I could go on and on about, but <laughs> society tells you there are certain things you do with your life. The, the one other, the final example I'll make on that, it's funny. I 
referenced a story from a woman I dated in the past when you came on the Levin Marcus show. I'm about to reference another story. This is not something I do on every episode. It's not just like I do a podcast episode and talk about ex-girlfriends, but a girl I used to date, she told me that her previous boyfriends had all been in a more advanced life stage than I was because she was only my second serious long-term relationship. And, you know, I've been kind of living the bachelor life before I met her. And I guess her other boyfriends had had more experience in, in serious long-term relationships. But it really bothered me because all of her ex-boyfriends had treated her badly. She told me about it. She told me all kinds of negative things about them. So it's like she'd essentially told me that they were awful people. And yet they were, I guess, more of a man than I was because they'd had more serious girlfriends. And it, I don't think your life stage is defined by that. So I was actually really, really upset. Uh, we had a giant blow up when she told me that, but, but yeah, no, I, the thing that you said about like, maybe people asking you, why aren't you married? You know, whatever. That's so relatable and there's nothing wrong with being single. So sounds like I've opened a can of worms here. Oh yeah. This is turning into a therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe somebody else needs to, to hear this too. And I think especially your age group, there's there is so much pressure. I think, you know, people think, oh, it's only if you, you are a pro athlete or a college basketball coach or a CEO that you're experiencing this pressure. I think everyone, regardless of where they are on their journey is under so much stress and scrutiny and pressure. And it's just trying to manage everything. And, and that's, that's the reason I wrote this book because I was struggling because mm -hmm. like most people, I'm calling it out. I was placing all of my worth outside of myself. I thought it, I, my value was what I looked like, how many jobs I was booking, how much money I was making, how many shiny objects I was accumulating, how many people I was impressing. It's an unsustainable, quite miserable lifestyle that we're all leading when we're in that space. And so this is about releasing that, coming up with keys for a new way of living, creating a whole new perspective and consciousness for ourselves where we really feel that confidence and resilience from within. And then you're living your life from that space. And that's how you naturally attract the opportunities and experiences and people where you can achieve your goals, help others achieve their goals and, and be in a place of empowerment rather than worried about what everyone else is, is doing or thinking and, and caught in the comparison and judgment game. And, and I really do. I've been, I've been speaking to a lot of college kids and I think, oh, college kids, they're having the time of their lives. No, they were all so stressed out. And it, it broke my heart because I was thinking, oh, college is kind of as good as it gets in terms of just having fun, don't have a ton of responsibilities. So my heart went out to them. And then you're right. In your age group, you're like 28. You're expected to be this bona fide adult and have all this success already. And you're still just trying to figure things out. And so I think this is really an invitation to take a pause and, and really find out who you are, not who society says you should be, not who mom and dad want you to be and, and discover what you really want, not what you want. What you want is dictated by society, societal standards. You probably don't even believe in like you have to get married and have kids by 30 or whatever it says. So let's delete that. Let's come up with our own rules, our own standards for living and really commit to those rather than the nonsense that's constantly trying to make its way into our consciousness. You're right. And yeah, you mentioned the societal expectation um, that you need to be married with kids uh, by 30. I'm actually turning 29 next month. So I, I think it's time for me to start putting out some uh, Craigslist ads. Um, you know. <laughs> but yeah, no, you're right, though. It, and 
one of my friends actually said to me, he talked about how he had a certain age he wanted to get married at. He said, whoever my girlfriend is in my mid thirties will probably be my wife. Well, what if your girlfriend in your mid thirties is an awful person? And again, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole like I did a minute ago, but don't get me started maybe, on that. Topic. Maybe you, maybe you need to start a, a therapy and relationship show. <laughs> yes, or like a single person support group or something. You know, okay. Or, you know. Well, there we go. There we go. <laughs> but, Created something worthwhile today. Exactly, but um, you know, also a, a topic that you've uh, touched on a lot, where there's been, you know, in your writing, your speaking, your social media posts has been been uh, mental health and. Um, you, you, you did talk about that a little bit uh, when you came on the uh, Levin Marcus show, but for anyone who didn't um, have a chance to listen to that episode, um, you know, why is that, that topic so important to you and how have you tried to, uh, you know, use your, your knowledge on that, that topic to make an impact? So I sadly lost my ex-boyfriend and one of my closest, dearest friends to suicide in one year. And they were two of the most beautiful, beloved men out there and cream of the crop. So it was obviously, it's shocking when anyone decides to end their lives, um, especially someone who appears on the outside to have it all. So it, besides dealing with the grief of losing these two beautiful souls, it was also really looking at myself and how I was choosing to live my life. And a part of me, I think, was scared I was going to end up like them because they were the mere image of me in, in many ways, you know, the life of every party and everyone's best friend and had the success, had the great family, all of the things, a lot of friends. And so you think, well, wow, if they can just one day decide to end it all, it, it, it scared me. Um, it scared me not just for myself, but all the people I saw around me who were so stressed out. And, and also that notion, we see it with all the celebrities, whether it's Anthony Bourdain, Kate Spade, Robin Williams. I mean, the list goes on and on in terms of some of the most successful people in the world have chosen to end their lives. And yes, there's there's mental illness and yes, there's mental health issues, but also I think it's a symptom of our society that places so much on the externals, a society where we never feel that we are enough, can be enough, can have enough. And, and so I think it, it really is important to examine our thoughts and spend a little more time caring for our well-being um, rather than being taken out by social media mentally and emotionally, rather than um, thinking we have to have all this stuff to be worthy of anything and, and really, you know, cultivating um, a, a more healthier mindset. So, that's why this work is so important to me. It's so important for me to speak openly about it. You never grow up and think you're you're going to speak about suicide prevention awareness and, and be an activist in that way. But I'm honored to do the work, um, not because it's easy. It's 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 so hard. It's heartbreaking. But I, I'm done with the shame. I, I'm done with the stigma. I I'm I'm done with the people who don't want to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it. And and you know I I will flat out point blank ask people, especially men. What are you doing to manage all the stress and pressure? What are you doing to care for yourself? Um, I think we need to have more of these conversations. I think we need to take better care of ourselves and the people around us before it's too late. You know, I talk about how all my research indicated and, you know, I didn't really need it because my own life already dictated it. But, you know, research says all of those things that we think are going to make us happy, the the hot body, the the house, the car, the money none of it really moves the needle on our well-being. What moves the needle are things like sleep, exercise, time affluence, social connection, 
acts of kindness and service. And, and one of my favorite activities that I write about in the book, a gratitude visit, where you take the time to, to write a 300-word letter to someone who's impacted your life in a meaningful way, who you've never properly thanked. Call them up on the phone. Tell them you want to visit. Invite them to a Zoom. Don't tell them why. Read them this letter, and, and you will have such a dramatic change to your well-being, not just in that moment or that day or that week, but long-term effects. I know because I did this 15 months ago with my friend Vanessa. It, it gave us an unshakable bond. It brought us closer. We think and talk about this letter all the time. Neither one of us can read the letter in the book without crying. And, and I think we wait until someone dies before we express any sort of, of feeling in that way towards them. And, and we don't tell people on a daily basis that we love them or that we appreciate them, not just our friends or family, but, but show appreciation to the checkout clerk at the grocery store, show appreciation to, you know, your postman or whatever, and, and just start feeling more connected to people you will feel better. You will feel richer. And when you are living your life from that place, I I'm here to tell you all those material things you want, they will be drawn to you like a magnet. No, you're absolutely right. And you know, you mentioned also uh, how some of the most successful people have committed suicide. So many different, you know, star actors and rock stars and professional athletes and there are a lot of different factors in it. And, and like you said, society is part of the, the problem with how much pressure everyone is put under by society. Um, but I think another issue with some of these really, really successful people is that they and their managers and their teams are so focused on their goals that they lose sight of taking care of them as individuals. And um, I remember when uh, Avicii, the, uh, the DJ, committed suicide. This was uh, two, three years ago. Um mm -hmm. I don't know all the details, but I, I read some articles about how, I guess, months before he committed suicide, he talked about how he wanted to possibly cancel some of his shows and take some time for himself and, and get help. And that his managers basically told him, absolutely not. we got to keep the momentum going, especially because they were making a percentage of his earnings. Because you know how it works with managers. You don't pay them a rate. They make a percentage of your earnings. So they directly profit off of you profiting. So the manager just said, um, you know, you got to you got to keep going. And they encouraged him to to push through it, much like, you know, when a sports coach pushes an athlete to play through a serious through an injury that might have put him out for two weeks. And then he hurts it worse and misses an entire season. Um, you know, they tried to push him through it and he ended up committing suicide. And they are partially responsible for his death. And. Some of these people, they're just so, they and the people around them are so focused on, you know, their brand and their bottom line and their resume that they, they don't focus on, um, you know, them as, as human beings. So that, I think that's part of the, why all these people would say, oh my God, they have so much money. They want so many awards. How, why? How? I don't get it. But it's actually more common than, uh, than people realize. Also, you know, I think, um, attitudes have somewhat changed for the better with mental health as far as some people are still uncomfortable talking about it but in the past people didn't talk about it at all and it's especially true for men like i've talked with my my father about mental health and other very personal things and he's told me the conversations we've had i would have never in a million years had with your grandfather that was socially unacceptable to talk to your dad about your feelings when he was growing up and and, you know, I'll, I've been open about it. You know, I'm someone who's gone to therapy to work through some of my personal issues. And the reason I'm open about that is because 
people need to stop seeing that as a sign of weakness. And it's actually a sign of strength if you can address your issues and open up about them. And and men are slowly becoming more uh, more comfortable talking about these things, but there's still a ways to go. And how do you think society can do better with that moving forward? Well, and, and thank you for what you said. And I think it's also a sign of intelligence to have a coach, a therapist, an accountability person and um, not not go it alone and have someone that you can reach out to and feel safe and comfortable with in a, a judgment-free zone. And um, I think we can do a better job by, by, by practicing. You know, I, I do so much work in my five P's of confidence for my research. And, and one of them is, is practice. And there's this notion that, you know, oh, I, I, I went to therapy a couple years ago. I'm good. Or, you know, and I, it's like physical exercise. You can't just go once a year and expect to be fit on every level. We all know it takes practice. And I, I think of a Tom Brady, uh, you know, he practices harder than anyone, not because he's the worst, but because he's the best, his talent merits investment. So I think so much as you, you can take the, the intelligence in your mind, move it down into your heart, into your body where it becomes wisdom. That's like the wisdom of driving a car. You don't have to think about it. It's, it's wisdom in your body. Think of a, you know, a baseball player steps up to the plate. Wisdom. He doesn't have to think about it. He's, he's done it so many times. He's so skilled. And then you have to take that wisdom and, and down to your hands and implement it. And, and that is doing the practice. That's, you know, being comfortable being uncomfortable as people say. And it, I think the more that you do it, like anything else at first, it might feel scary or weird. And then it just becomes second nature. And, and we start talking about things and then we, we fight back against the shame and the stigma. And then people say, wow, you seem so happy and you're achieving so much success and you seem so confident and you have such great relationships. What's up? <laughs> you're like, I'm doing the work. It's like physical yeah. exercise. It works if you do. You see the result if you put it in. You can't just go to the gym and your cute outfit and expect to be in shape. You can't ask your personal trainer to do the sit-ups for you. That's not how it works. We all know that. And the same is true with our mental and emotional muscles. And as you work them and exercise them, you get more fit on the inside. And then that becomes your default setting rather than the stress and fear and chaos and anxiety. There's no question about it. And you mentioned how some people, you know, they'll talk about how, um, you know, they went to therapy two years ago. So they're fine. There was actually a mental health podcast. I can't remember the name on top of my head, but my therapist, she recommended a mental health podcast for me. And in the podcast, the host said, don't try to put out a forest fire with a garden hose. If you have, you know, been dealing with all kinds of issues that started in your childhood and have carried on throughout your life and, you know, talking to someone for an hour isn't going to fix it. You know, you really, really have to invest and work at it every day. Um, and don't just make your issues go away temporarily because they're going to come back. Really address them. Don't try to cover them up temporarily. Address them. So like you said, it's, it's all about putting in putting in the work. Um, but I know um, you do have another meeting after this. So I'll, I'll wrap things up. But my final question, um, you know, with everything you're doing and the, the speaking, working with universities, um, et cetera, et cetera. What are some of your plans in the near future? What are some of uh, your upcoming events you're looking forward to? I'm just looking forward to talking about the full spirit workout with as many people as I can. This is 
a project much bigger than me. This is a divine assignment I took on for Sam and Roth, my angels who I lost tragically to suicide, but but for everyone who struggles with mental health, which as I'm discovering is, is everyone. It's part of the human condition. So I really want to make spiritual fitness mainstream where everyone knows about it. People know how important it is, just like physical exercise to be able to navigate not just their internal world, but the external world with the kind of confidence that nobody can ever take from you, the confidence that can weather any storm, because quite frankly, the chaos and insanity and sickness of the world isn't going anywhere. It's up to us to get really steady on the inside and become rock solid and have that strong foundation within so that nothing can really knock us off of our core and that we we are the men and women who can change the world. And, and I mean... The, as I said to you and Marcus on our show, it, it's not midnight yet, but but we're getting close. It's 11.48, 11.49. It, it's time that we all stop coddling our own weaknesses and neuroses. We all start uncovering our unique gifts and using them and sharing them with the world and really identifying and leveraging our strengths and, and start coming from that place rather than that place of ain't it awful or I'm not good enough. No, I, I mean that that story has just gotten old, quite frankly, and and we are all too gifted to to dwell in that place. So I, I'm just here to keep talking about these concepts, you know, uh, getting this book in front of as many people as possible. You know, even if you just read the affirmations at the end of each chapter, a man last week said, just the affirmations alone are, are worth purchasing this book for. I think just be willing to to see yourself in a whole new light be willing to recognize and accept how powerful you are and that you can do whatever you decide is important enough. So besides all the things I do, this, this is what I care about the most. And I want to just keep talking about it because it is counterintuitive in many ways. It's the opposite from the thinking of the world, but it's so important. And I, I just invite and encourage everyone to make spiritual fitness and their well-being a priority. No question. I, I think more people should make that a priority. Uh, definitely not enough people do. Um, but you know, Kate, I really appreciate you coming on the uh, coming on the show, and and definitely uh, everyone, I recommend you check out um, Kate's book, The Full Spirit Workout. And also, Kate, if anyone um, you know wants to check out some of your other work, um, you know, what are your main social media handles? Do you have a website people can check out? Where can people find uh, find your other work? Absolutely. So social, it's Kate Ekman, K-A-T-E-E-C-K-M-A-N. That's also my website, kateekman.tv, as in the tube that you watch. You can go to thefullspiritworkout.com for all the information about the book. You can purchase it in bookstores everywhere, online. All the links are there, even if you're in a different country. And let's go. Let's have fun. Let's connect, build community. This is about collaboration, not competition, and just a really place to uplift and energize each other and the people around us. Although, you know what? I'm hoping you said it's not about competition. I'm hoping that this interview gets more downloads than the one you did with Marcus and I, so then I can have bragging rights over Marcus. But we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, but once again, Kate, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. That is Kate Ekman. I'm Lever Ball. Thanks for tuning in to the Lever.